There are two readings this morning. The first is from Micah chapter 5, verse 1 to 5, and the second is from Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 6. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops, sieges laced against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labour has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Matthew 2, verses 1 to 6. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, thank you, Deborah, for reading, reading for us. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, that's page 807. Uh, let me pray as we come to this passage. Lord God, our Father, we thank you that we can gather again as we do each week to hear you speak to us through your words. And we pray that as we come to your words this morning, uh, you might prepare our hearts, Lord, that you'd... Uh, we, we know that the problem is often not your word, it's, it's our own hearts. We are hard-hearted or we are distracted. And so we pray that you would soften our hearts to hear your word, that we might receive it and not just receive it, but obey it too. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've just got a little confession to make uh, to begin with, and that is that I'm a big fan of property shows. Uh, So Homes Under the Hammer, Grand Designs, A Place in the Sun, A Place in the Sun, Home and Away, if you've not seen that one, uh, that's a classic, Uh, some quality viewing. But a 2021 survey proclaimed this property show the greatest of them all. Kirsty Allsop and Phil Spencer's location, location, location. Now, I'd have gone for Grand Designs, um, but there you go. The public have spoken. Location, location, location. As Kirsty and Phil will tell you, Location is the critical factor when buying your home. It's no good just finding the right house. It has to be in the right place. And it seems that location matters too for Matthew, the author of this gospel. And you may have picked that up as it was read, uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses, even just in verse 1. It's full of locations. Bethlehem of Judea, Jerusalem, and these strange figures from the east. It's location, location, location. Matthew seems to think that the location of the birth of Jesus 
is a critical factor in proving who he is, that he is indeed the Christ, the Messiah King. Now we're going to look at these, two, uh, these few verses, uh, 1 to 6 this morning. If you come back on Christmas Day, um, you'll see the rest of uh, this little uh, part of the story. We're going to do that in two parts. We're going to, they're on the back of the service sheet. The question in verses uh, 1 to 4, that's the big question. Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? And then the answer in verse 5 to 6. So first of all, verse 1 to 4, where is he who has been born King of the Jews? See, Matthew's aware that if he is to prove that Jesus Christ is actually the Messiah and not some imposter, he has to account for the biblical prophecies that point to the Messiah, and there are loads of them. He's already mentioned the prophecies to Abraham and to David in chapter 1, uh, 1 verse 1. And he's quoted a prophecy already in chapter 1 verse 23. And if you come back uh, to the carol service tonight, you'll hear that prophecy uh, explained. It's about a virgin birth and God coming down to earth as a man to be with his people. Now there's another prophecy in our passage this morning. It's in verse 6, the bit in quotation marks. But before we get to that, let's just follow the story Uh, beginning in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east, uh, from the east came to Jerusalem. This is the first time in Matthew's account that we discover the location of Jesus' birth. It's in Bethlehem of Judea. Now, Bethlehem at this stage, it's a a really small town. It's really just a village. It's six miles from the capital, Jerusalem. It would not be on Kirsty and Phil's list of desirable locations. It's something of a provincial backwater. Judea is the name of the Roman province. It kind of covers the same area, roughly, as uh, the ancient kingdom of Judah, Israel's southern kingdom. And that's that's really the first bit of factual information that we're given. We're given the where, aren't we? The second, though, is the timing of his birth, the when. It was in the days of Herod the king. Now, this is Herod the Great. And in many ways, he was a great king. Under his rule, there was largely uh, no war going on in the kingdom. Uh, He rebuilt much of the land's infrastructure. And he was especially famous for rebuilding and expanding the temple. By worldly standards, he was impressive. He was great. Now, Herod certainly considered himself to be king of the Jews, but Herod was not God's king for at least three reasons. To start with, Herod wasn't ethnically Jewish. He wasn't of Abraham's chosen line. He was an Edomian from Edom, Israel's enemies. Second, he was a client king of Rome. His dad was great mates with Julius Caesar. He was a big favourite in Rome because he brought in the taxes efficiently from Judea for the empire. And the third reason he wasn't God's king is that he was a wicked man. He was cruel. He was exploitative. He was violent. His wife and several of his sons were murdered at his command. 
And famously, the Emperor Augustus once remarked, it is better to be Herod's pig than his son. All of which does cast a certain shadow over what's to come, doesn't it? He was not and could not be God's king. So what's he going to make of these claims about Jesus? It's all pretty ominous. So two facts then to begin. The where and the when. Born in Bethlehem, born in the day of Herod the king. And next in the story we meet some strange characters. These wise men from the east who come to Jerusalem. Now, we need to do a little bit of Christmas uh, myth-busting here, I'm afraid. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Uh, They weren't kings. We don't know how many of them there were. And there's nothing at all mentioned about camels. I'm sorry to break that to you. Um, Also, they didn't arrive on the night of Jesus' birth with the shepherds. So those nativity scenes that have them all together, I'm sorry, they're not quite accurate. It must have been some months afterwards. Now, there may have been three of them. We're not told, but... We know they gave three gifts. That comes later on in the story, and that's why people say that. They may have had camels, I suppose, but there's no information to verify that. We do know, though, that they're not kings. We're told that in uh, this passage. Our translation calls them wise men. Uh, But the actual word's magi, from where we get the word magic. So that term, it refers not to kings, but to scholars. These guys... Uh, have practices including astrology and interpreting dreams and studying ancient writings, uh, seeking out wisdom and magic. And that means that these men are Gentile and they're pagan. They're from eastern lands, and probably what used to be Persia or Babylon, perhaps even further afield. And they travel this long distance. It would have been over the desert. It would have taken many, many days. And they come to Jerusalem with their question. They ask around the city, verse 2, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now we need to pay close attention to the wording of the question. Where is he who has been born king of the of the Jews. Not born to be king of the Jews in the future, at some future point, but born king of the Jews in the present. They believe that he is already king at his birth. But we might have some questions about this. We might ask, look, how do these Gentile pagans from far away, how do they have this question in their minds at all? How do they know this? And why are they interested in what is to them a foreign king? And why, why have they come to worship him? Now, we're not told explicitly, but the answer is obvious when you think about it. They must have learned about this king, born, the one born king of the Jews, from the expectations of the Jews themselves and specifically from the Jewish scriptures, from the Bible prophecies. So they seem to know that the birth of a Messiah king has been prophesied. They know from the moment of his birth that he is the king of the Jews. But perhaps it seems also that 
they, this king of the Jews, they, they know that he needs to be worshipped by the Gentiles too. And they can only have this information, they could only have come to this conclusion if they had read or they'd been told about the Jewish scriptures which said all of those things. And in particular, they mention his star. And that's there in verse 2. We saw his star when it rose. Now, Matthew actually makes quite a big deal out of the star. If you were to read on in the next few verses... Uh, it's mentioned here in verse 2, it's mentioned again in verse 7, and again in verse 9, and in verse 10. And it's a, both a natural and a supernatural phenomenon. It is a star, uh, it rises, it appears in the sky, but somehow it moves and it leads uh, the Magi to the place where Jesus is, is living. Here in verse 2, though, the point seems to be that it is the star that announces the birth of the Messiah to these magi. And that, I think, is because of a prophecy way, way back in Israel's history, which is found in Numbers chapter 24, uh, verse 17. Uh, You can turn there if you like. Um, Don't feel you need to. I'm going to quote it to you. Numbers 24 is a prophecy of um, a prophet called Balaam. And it's about a king who's going to come from Israel who's going to rule and conquer all the nations, including, specifically, it mentions Edom, which is Herod's birthplace. Now, Balaam, he looks into the future, and this is what he says. I see him, that is, this king. I see him, but not now, not in Balaam's day. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. You see, this star is the sign of the coming king, the king from Israel who will conquer the nations. Now, Jewish scholars at the time of Jesus' birth, they viewed Balaam's prophecy as a messianic prophecy about their Messiah. So there's good reason to think that these magi would know that too. He was just seeing that Matthew's starting to build his case that Jesus is the prophesied Messiah. Now back to the story, this question from the Magi, it gets about the city and Herod comes to hear of it and unsurprisingly is not entirely chuffed about it, verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Why would Herod be pleased? There's another king born in his kingdom. It's disturbing. Now, given Herod's track record of getting rid of any potential threats, we can already see where this might be going. But Herod doesn't know his Bible that well, so he asked the religious leadership of uh, Jerusalem, who do know their Bibles, he asked them what they make of this question from the Magi. What's the answer? Now just notice, though, by the way, in verse 4, that though Herod doesn't know the location, he does know full well who is being talked about, doesn't he? Notice that he calls him the Christ, the Messiah, 
See, the Magi, they didn't use that term. They talked about the king of the Jews. But Herod knows exactly who it is that they're talking about. It's almost as if he feared that this day would come. And that's the first part of our story, the, the Magi's arrival in Jerusalem. And it's framed around this great question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Or as Herod puts it, where the Christ was to be born? That's the question. Let's turn now to the answer. See, just as the question was provoked by the Scriptures, so too the answers provided by the Scriptures. Verse 5 and verse 6. The chief priests and the scribes, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is a quote from Micah chapter 5, which we had read earlier on. And the way it works is it conflates some of those verses together. It picks verse 2 and verse 4, and it puts them together. And Micah's written uh, as the Assyrian armies, they're sweeping through Israel and they're threatening Judah. It's written at a time of great distress, It's written at a time of corrupt leadership in Israel with God's judgment in the form of exile just looming on the horizon. It's in the midst of all that that God promises that from this tiny little village called Bethlehem shall come a ruler. And in fact, the missing verse 3 from Micah 5 tells us to expect a woman to give birth to this ruler. And we'll come to the content of the prophecy in a moment, but I want us just to spend a little bit of time here noticing that the chief priests and the scribes, they know exactly where the Messiah will be born. They don't even have to look it up. They know full well that Micah had said it would be in Bethlehem of Judea, verse 5. And that's quite striking because... Though they know this, they seem to have no intention of going to find him. These are the religious leadership in Jerusalem. It's only six miles away, but it's the Gentile pagan magi who have crossed the desert to search for this Jewish Messiah, not them. And this is going to set the tone for the rest of Matthew's Gospel When it comes to the end, it will be these same religious leaders who reject Jesus and plot to have him crucified. And this is an important point for us to grasp, I think. We can be a deeply religious person. We can know lots about the Bible. We can believe the Bible's true. We can even know how to interpret biblical prophecy correctly. And even with all that, we can still have no desire to meet or know the real Jesus. And at no point is this more relevant than at Christmas time. Churches across the city and across the country and across the world are full of people right now and at countless carol services tonight who are just like the chief priests and the scribes in the passage. Deeply religious people 
who've stored up lots of biblical knowledge over many years, who've heard Micah 5 read many times, and who understand it, yet who have no desire to meet Jesus Christ in person, to know him. And in particular, who have no desire to ever submit to him as their king. You see, back in verse 3... The whole city was troubled by the news of this king's arrival. Not just Herod. Herod makes sense. This is a rival king. But everyone in Jerusalem is troubled. And the chief priests and the scribes. Could it be that this is troubling because the Messiah has a claim of kingship over their lives? That if they go to see him, well, then they must acknowledge him. And if they acknowledge him as the promised king, well then they must bow the knee to him. If he's God's king, then we must submit to his rule. And to do that is troubling to us, because that means surrendering control of our lives over to him. If you allow me just a moment to be direct... I wonder if that's pretty close to where you are this morning. I ask you just to be honest about that. That you've been interested in the Bible, perhaps. Believe it's true, even. But all the same, you've just kept Jesus at arm's length. He's right there. He's in touching distance, so to speak. And you know he's right there, but something's stopping you going to him. Could it be that if you know you were, if you were to do that, if you were to acknowledge his presence, well, then you know you'd have to bow the knee to him as your king. And that thought is troubling to you, just as the thought of his arrival was troubling to these folk back then. So let's be honest, it, it is troubling to give up control of our lives in this way to someone else to surrender our right to rule our own lives and give it over to another. But that's what Christian faith is. It is surrendering control to Jesus as our king. It's saying, he rules my life, not me. And we find that really hard to do, don't we? Because, well, we want to keep control and we're worried that it would be a mistake And it would be a terrible mistake to bow the knee to a king if that king was a king like Herod, someone who's cruel and self-serving and exploitative and violent. If this Messiah king was like that, it would be horrendous to be under his rule. To give your life to a king like that would be foolish, wouldn't it? But Jesus is not like Herod. That's not what he's like. And we know that from the content of Micah's prophecy. And this word, shepherd. What did he say? Verse 6, From Bethlehem shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now when we hear about a ruler from Bethlehem, our Bible senses should be tingling. Because we already know a king who's born in Bethlehem, don't we? Uh, The greatest king Israel ever had up to this point, King David, he's from there. 
See, Bethlehem might be small and insignificant, but the kings come from there before. And, and if you ask people what kind of king they wanted, well, it would be him. It would be David. Where did David learn the skills to be such a great king? Well, his training ground was the fields and the hills. He was a shepherd. His people he came to see were the sheep of his pasture, the flock under his care. In David, here was, here was a shepherd king, one who came from humble beginnings, but whom God raised up to be his king. And now we're told that, well, here comes another. Here comes another, an even greater shepherd king, born in David's town to sit on David's throne. Later in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is going through Galilee and he's uh, preaching and he's healing people and great crowds of people are coming to see him. And there's so many people, there's far too many people to see, far too much to do. And Matthew reports this, that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, this is the kind of king that Jesus is. A king moved by compassion for harassed and helpless people. A shepherd king. One who's moved to rescue his sheep, the people under his care. Now, shepherding is the dominant image for good leadership in the Bible, throughout the whole Bible, Old Testament and New. Now, we, the people, we're compared to sheep. It's not particularly uh, complimentary as a description of us, but it's very true. We're harassed, we're helpless, and what we need is a shepherd. What does a shepherd do? Well, he cares for the sheep when they're sick or wounded. It's an image of gentleness. He feeds the sheep, giving them what they need to live each day. A shepherd guides the sheep, leading them through danger to safe pasture. And then ultimately, the shepherd protects the sheep from death, laying down his life to save them. And this is what Jesus, the shepherd king, does for us. So he's not like Herod. Far from abusing his power and using the sheep for his own gain, as Herod did, The shepherd king cares for us. He feeds us with his life-giving word. He protects us from death and lays down his life to save us. At the end of Matthew's account, Jesus enters Jerusalem. And when he does, he describes to his followers what he knows what will happen to him there. It's in Matthew chapter 26. And in verse 31, he quotes from another prophecy, this time from Zechariah, which says that the shepherd will be struck. Jesus, our shepherd king, will be placed on a Roman cross, and as he hangs there, he does so in order to be struck, to be struck by the wrath of God. Jesus dies on the cross and the judgment of God that should fall upon sinners, should fall upon us, wayward and rebellious sheep as we are, but that judgment instead falls upon our shepherd king. He lays down his life, taking the judgment of God for our sins in our place to save us. 
Bowing the knee to obey a human ruler is something that we're rightly wary of. Surrendering control of your life to another, it's a risky thing to do in this world. But not for a king like this. Not for a king like Jesus. It's no risk to submit your life to a shepherd like this. One full of compassion for harassed and helpless people. One who's gracious to us, who cares for us, who will heal us and help us and lead us. Submitting your life to one such as this, a king like this, who's willing to be struck for us, who laid down his life to save us, well, that's nothing to be afraid of. In fact, it's the very best thing we can ever do. As we draw to a close, let's just consider what we've seen. Matthew's presented us with Jesus as the promised or prophesied shepherd king. We've seen that he's the king of ancient prophecy, the one born in Bethlehem, just as the scriptures said he would be centuries before. Location matters. It shows us that we can trust God to keep his word, even if it seems unlikely like a king coming out of the village of Bethlehem. We've seen too that Jesus will be worshipped by people that we don't expect and ignored or even hated by people that we do. And we've seen that proximity to Jesus, knowing about him and the scriptures that teach about him, is no guarantee that we will seek him and find him. Recognising what the Bible says about him is not the same as coming before him and bowing the knee to him, which is what we must do. And then finally, we've seen just a glimpse into the kind of king he is. A shepherd king, one we can trust, one we can give our lives to, for he's already given his life for us. Let's pray. God our Father, we praise you for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for who he is, that he is our King and also our Shepherd, who cares for us, loves us, feeds us, leads us, and ultimately gave his life to save us. We praise you for him, in Jesus' name. Amen.